Welcome to the Ram Iyer Podcast with your host, Ram Iyer, thought leader, author, keynote speaker, workshop leader, and mentor. Listen to his engaging conversations with experts from across the world and his personal insights that will help you create a better life, become more successful, and achieve your personal greatness. Now, here's Ram! Welcome to Business Thinking Radio. I'm Ram Ayer, your host and president of the Business Thinking Institute in Princeton. Today's show is how to network like a pro for business. How to turn contacts into connections. A conversation with Dr. Ivan Misner, founder of BNI, the world's largest business networking group. Whether you succeed as an individual or in business, you succeed in the context of society. People who network with more and better people tend to have greater leverage, power, and success. Would you like to build a better network and achieve greater success? Well, you're in luck. Today we have the founder of the world's largest business networking group with us. He knows what works and how you can benefit by what he has learned. Dr. Ivan Misner is the founder and chief visionary officer of BNI, the world's largest business networking organization. He founded BNI in 1985. The organization now has over 233,000 members in 8,400 chapters who meet weekly across every populated continent of the world. BNI members generated more than $14 billion in closed business just in the last 12 months. Ivan is called as the father of modern networking by CNN, as one of the top networking experts to watch by Forbes. Ivan is considered to be one of the world's leading experts on business networking. He has a PhD from the University of Southern California. He has written 21 books, including his latest, Who's in Your Room? He's a columnist for Entrepreneur.com. Oh, and in his spare time, he is an amateur magician and a black belt in karate who spends most of his time on planes flying around the globe. Welcome, Ivan. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, the introduction. Absolutely, absolutely. So what, uh, you know, I, I was reflecting on this, and I said, what got you to start BNI in the first place? What need did you see missing in the marketplace? Well, listen, I'd like to tell you that I had this vision of an international organization with uh, <laughs> over 8,000 chapters, but... The, the truth is, I, I needed some referrals for my consulting practice. At the time I started BNI in 1985, uh, I was a full-time management consultant. I had a small consulting business, and I, I found that most of my business came through referrals, and so I put together a group of people I trusted, and they trusted me, I felt. I wanted to set an environment where I could give them referrals, and hopefully they would do the same for me. So my vision was to create one referral group, and it was one where there was no competition, So there was, you know, only one person per professional category. And we got together every week for a couple of months, and someone finally came who couldn't join because her profession was represented. And she asked me if I would help her open up a second chapter. And Rama, I, I actually, actually said no. This isn't what I do. I'm a business consultant. I don't run a network. And she said, well, this is kind of consulting. You know, you'd be helping me build my business. Uh -huh. Okay, that's a bit of a stretch, but all right, let's 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 do that. So I opened up a second chapter, and 
We had a couple dozen people come. Two couldn't join because of a classification conflict with some others. And both of them said, this is awesome. I could get a ton of business, but I can't join. Would you help me open up my own group? And I said, hmm. no, this, this isn't what I do. <laughs> and, and they said the same thing she did. And I said, okay. So at the end of a year, I had opened, really by accident, 20 chapters of hmm. BNI. We started in January. By December, we had 20 groups. And I have always, throughout my entire career, spent at least a couple of days, sometimes a whole week between Christmas and New Year's, and reflect. And I think about, you know, where do I want to be in five years? Where do I want to be in 10 years? How did my plan for last year work out? And I, that year, I look back and I was like, what the hell happened? <laughs> this was not <laughs> in my plan. And it was at that point that I realized I had struck a chord in the business community. The BNI really is a classic example of necessity being the mother of invention. The people desperately needed referrals, but they had no mechanism to do it. And it was at that point in December of 1985 that I sat down and created the plan to make this organization much, much larger. I really wasn't thinking global, but I thought over the next few years, it could be all around the United States. Would it be fair to say at that point, everybody wanted business, a bunch of people wanted to get together refer business to each other and essentially become hunters. That may be accurate. What I believe is particularly critical is that we don't teach this in colleges and universities anywhere in the world. Hmm. We don't teach networking, referral marketing, social capital. And so what we have are a lot of business people who know how to make widgets or sell products, but they don't know how to get referrals. And what B&I did was fill that gap. It not only gave people a platform to do it, but we also taught them how to do it within the context of BNI. And so I think that was the big piece that was missing. And almost everybody, if you, you ask almost anyone, they'll tell you referrals are the best form of business to get. And so we just kind of created a system and a structure around that process. Yeah, I noticed also that in going through your books that you advise people to build relationships and then farm them for sales. What I say is that networking is more about farming than it is about hunting. We tend to really hunt for business. And if that's the case, then you basically eat what you kill that week. <laughs> it's just about you know, closing deals. What I believe is that networking is more about building relationships. So you build those relationships. And through those relationships and that trust and camaraderie that's developed, then you can generate business. And I believe that throughout my entire career. But there's data now to support that. I did a book a few years back. The title is a little strange, but it, let me explain it. It's called Business, Networking, and Sex, Not What You huh. Think. The book is about the difference between men and women and how they network. We asked all of the participants. We had 12,000 people that we surveyed, 12,000 from all over the world. And they weren't just B&I members. It was open to the public. And we asked about relational versus transactional networking. We had questions in there about that. We found that... Women were actually better at networking. They spent a little less time doing it, but they generated a higher percentage of their business through networking. And that women tended to be more relational than men were. And men tended to be more transactional than women were. Not all men were transactional. Not all women were relational. But when you survey 12,000 people, you get patterns. And we saw very distinct, statistically significant patterns. And we thought, that's interesting. The women did better and they were relational. Well, let's take gender out of it. And we took gender out of it and just looked at relational versus transactional, and we found that the people who went about their networking in a relational process, building the relationship first, then doing business, 
generated a higher percentage of business than the people who did it in a transactional process, which is counterintuitive. But again, this is based on a survey of 12,000 people that we did a few years ago. One thing that strikes me is a little odd. Here you are bringing together over 10,000 salespeople, essentially, who are classically type A personalities, whose nature is to hunt. I need to make my quota or else I could lose my job or I could end up earning a whole lot less than I really should. You know, I deserve better. How do you corral such a group? It's got to be through education. You got to teach them about this strategy of farming versus hunting. I remember talking to a BNI director and he told me a story about a gentleman he was working with in a core group. That's a chapter that's going to be launching. And the gentleman was, he was an elderly gentleman in his 60s and he'd been in business a long time. And at the end of the meeting, everybody left, but he stuck around and the director said, um, yeah, do you have any questions? You know, I see you sticking around. He said, you know, I, I had an epiphany listening to you talk about how you go about building relationships to get business. And he said, I realized that you have to take off your bib and put on an apron. And the director said, run that by me again? You have to do what? He said, I realized that if you really want to build your business this way, you've got to take off your bib and put on an apron. He said, I spent most of my career, and I've been in this business, he said, for 30 years, in what's in it for me. What can mm-hmm. I get? That's the baby's and way of looking at things. That's, that it is, and that you need a bib because it's just what's in it for you. Mm-hmm. He said it's really about serving and helping others. And that if you build a relationship and serve them, that they'll do the same for you. And B and I, we have this philosophy called giver's gain, that if you mm-hmm. help other people, they'll help you in return. And so, yeah, it is counterintuitive and it takes some training and it takes the, a person with the right mindset to come into this and to believe that it's possible. Look, 33 years we've been doing this, it's possible. See, if I listen to you, I go, you know, yeah, 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 I've heard this, you know, give things away and, you know, eventually things will come back, you know. What is this guy talking about, karma or something? I haven't seen that work in the real world. Moreover, I'm a type A personality. Yeah. At some level, I need to have faith in you. you know, well, you know and that's where the relationship about. comes in. And by the way, I, we don't say give something away. When we say giver's gain, we're talking about giving referrals. I mean, we're not talking about giving away your business. You know, oh, let me give you free samples of all my products. That's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is, let me get to know you, like you, and trust you. Let me work through a process, and B&I, we call it the VCP process. Mm-hmm. Visibility, credibility, profitability. Let me establish visibility with you so you know who, who I am. Let me get credibility with you so you believe that I will absolutely take great care of your referrals, people that are important to you. Hmm. And let's move towards profitability where I'm giving you referrals and you're giving me referrals. So it's a long-term process. It's not a get-rich-quick scheme, but it's not. It's I'm like the, one of the loose, least new age guys you'll ever meet, Ram. So hmm. to me, it's not just about karma. It's about friendships and relationships. And it's from those relationships that you get business, I believe. So it's about referrals. So, so I'll refer business to you. And because I'm being giving and nice to you, I expect that you will reciprocate. Yeah, it's in, in social capital theory, it is called just that, the law of reciprocity. Mm-hmm. And it's not a transactional law. It's, uh, you know, like I, I, I call it coin-operated networking. You know, you put the coin in, give me the candy. 
it's relational networking where let me let me build a relationship with you and trust you and, and I'll do business and then you do the same with me. You know, human nature when you go into a networking event is to typically sell yourself. Yeah. So then you know, I think you, I've heard you talk about this. The the uh, you know, I'm here to tell you enough about myself that I say I need to make sure Ivan knows everything about me so that he'll be really really impressed with me. Mm-hmm. And if you have the same attitude, you're saying I want to make sure Ram knows everything about me so he's impressed with me. Right, I call that dueling monologues. <laughs> yeah, talk a little bit about that. You know, why do people end up doing that, and what's the right way of doing this? They're not again. They're not taught how to network, and mm-hmm. so they think that networking is about face-to-face cold calling. Hi, my name's Ivan. Let's do business, and they just go right into sales mode. So I went to a seminar in London a number of years ago. There were 900 people there. I was the keynote speaker. It was an all-day thing, and I tried something out I had never done before. I said, "How many of you are here today? Raise your hand." If you're um, hoping to, you know, maybe just possibly sell something. 900 people raised their hand. So, okay, great. Second question. How many of you are here today hoping to, you know, maybe just possibly buy something? No one hands raised their hands. Not, not a single None. hand. <laughs> so, so, Rob, this is what I call the networking disconnect. People show up at networking events wanting to sell, but nobody's there to buy. And if, if, if you're going to an event like that, or if you're behaving like that, then you're not going to get any business because everybody's trying to sell to each other. So people then ask me, well, then why in the world would I go to a networking event? Because yeah. I'm here to build business. Yes, you are. You go to networking events to work your way through the VCP process. Those people you've never met before, you want to establish visibility. Those people that you've met before and they know who you are, you want to work on that credibility. You want to chip away at that credibility so that they really know that you're good at what you do. And those people who you know and you have a long-term relationship with, you want to have another touch point to reconnect with each other and continue to work with one another. That's why you go to networking events. Look, you can stumble over business. I've been to networking events and I've seen people just fall over some business lying there on the ground. But even a blind squirrel can find a nut. You know, that's not the way to build your business, in my opinion. So if I walk into a room and you, you talk about the differences in the transactional nature of men, you know, or rather I should say men tend to be more transaction-oriented as opposed to women who are more relationship-oriented. So if I'm a guy walking into a room and the person I would most benefit from is a woman, are there some keys for me to better communicate with this woman? Yeah, there's a few things we found from the book. And again, remember, not all men are that way. Not all women are that way. Sure. I, I, inevitably, I get somebody who gets mad at me and says, well, I'm, I'm a man and I'm not transactional or I'm a woman and I'm not relational. Okay, this isn't about you. This is, this is about the survey we did, 12,000 yeah. people. Yeah. And so we, we did find a couple of things. First of all, women, and this, this one Ram came as a shock to me. I, I never even thought of it. Women said, yeah, men introduce themselves like a resume. Hmm. I'm the senior vice president of uh, sales for such and such country, uh, a company. We generate X number of millions of dollars worth of business. And it's like a resume. Boom, 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 boom. And so if you're introducing yourself to a woman who you want to build a professional relationship with, it's much better to not stand there and do the resume. True story. And this is how two women introduced themselves. And here's how the man reacted, not knowing anybody. I'm talking to a man on my left and a woman on my right. A second woman comes into our semicircle. Mm-hmm. And the woman on my right looks to the woman who just stepped in and said, Hi, 
know, my name is so-and-so, what's your name? And how did you hear, not, not what business are you in? How did you hear about tonight's event? Well, the woman who stepped into the circle said, oh, my friend Sally invited us. And the first woman said, Sally, you know Sally? I know Sally too. How do you know Sally? Now these two women are talking about Sally. I look, I just kind of glance over at the guy. His eyes are rolling up in his eye sockets. And it's like, you know, bleed me out. Who cares about Sally? <laughs> We're here to do business. <laughs> I could see it in him. And he, he was just so frustrated. But here were these two ladies making a connection, had nothing to do with business. Mm -hmm. It was the very, very early stages of a potential professional relationship. So the answer to your question is find ways to make a connection with the person in this Me Too movement. I'm talking about completely appropriate connections, please, with the other gender as you're having a conversation with them. And so ask relational questions. What brought you here? Who do you know here? You know, um, do you come to these uh, business events? Uh, you know, do you, are you a member of the chamber? Are you a member of BNI? Those kinds of things are more relational questions than, oh, so tell me what you do. ask you two follow-up questions that come to mind. Let me flip that around and let's say that I'm a woman going into a room full of men yeah. and I need to figure out a way to relate to these men. How would I talk to them? One of my co-authors, I had two co-authors with the gender book, Frank Durathley and Hazel Walker. And the book was interesting in that everybody had a particular chapter. I was the survey says. I mm -hmm. responded just to the data. Frank was that he said, so he took the male perspective oh, on the Hazel. data, and, and Hazel was the female perspective. So I once was sitting with Hazel as she was coaching a woman who asked that very question, wrong, mm -hmm. very question, how do I introduce myself to men because it's not really going over well? And Hazel said, well, I watched you do a couple of introductions, and this is what you're doing. They asked what she did. She said, well, I work for you know XYZ Cosmetics Company. And I love this business so much. It's such a fantastic business because it gives me the freedom to spend time with my children and my family. And yet, you know, I can make a living, but it's that free time that's so... And she's like, honey, men don't care about that. They just don't care about that. So you need to change up your presentation completely. You're talking relationally to men who tend to be more transactionally. So she said, well, what do I say? So this is Hazel coaching this woman. She said, I'll tell you what you say. When you, when you introduce yourself, you keep doing what you're doing with the women, but with the man, you say, Hi, um, my name is so-and-so. I'm the senior director with XYZ Cosmetics. I have a team of about 140 people who work under me, and we generate about $110 million uh, in business a year. You got his attention. Yeah, got his attention. So in effect, she did a resume with the man who, if they're a little more transactional, that gets their attention. They go, oh, wow, wow. It's not the, oh, she's selling makeup, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, she's running a team of more than 100 people and, you know, doing eight figures in revenue. So that's impressive. And does it work in every situation? No, because not all men are transactional. Not all men are relational. But it works way more than you might expect, Ron. See, going back to your London example where you had 900 people in the audience and said, how many of you are hoping to sell? Everybody who goes to a networking event goes there because they expect to get something in return for themselves from attending the event. And as you pointed out, 
these 900 people came there hoping to sell. So when I'm there to sell, I look at you, say, okay, could he be my meal? Or the next person, or the next person, man, woman, I don't really care. I need to make a kill. When you have a group of people with that kind of mentality, and you're telling them, slow down, first get to know them, build a relationship, use the VCP concept, it may be two or three or four or five meetings before you can hit them up for a sale. That's an incredibly hard thing to do. How, how do you talk to somebody mm -hmm. like that? Because I mean, well, I, w I want to consummate the sale like now. It depends on how assertive they are about their stance on continuing to build their business that way. You know, if they really, if I have people that are kind of pushing back on me, I'll, I'll ask this question. Everyone in the audience, raise your hands if you are getting all the business that you want with the method you're using now. And mm -hmm. I've done that a number of times and virtually no one raises their hand. And so I say, okay, then keep an open mind and listen carefully and take notes. Because I'm about to tell you how to change that. And mm. you change that through referrals. And then I, you know, walk through the basic process of building a referral-based business. And that really begins with two primary themes. On one hand, it's a mindset. You must go in with the correct mindset. And on the other hand, it's also a skill set. You have to develop certain skills. What tends to happen, though, with networking is that people just teach the skill set. Here's how you network. You do this, you do that. Here's how you do a, a you know, a, uh, an elevator pitch to somebody. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. Well, you're getting into the skill set before you have the mindset. And if you're explaining skill set and they don't have the right mindset, they're not going to do well. The right mindset begins with the concept of VCP. But it's even more than that. There are a number of other things you have to get right in the mindset before you can start applying these skills. By the time I'm done with an audience, if I have an hour, hour and a half, it's like you see light bulbs go on in the audience. It's like, hmm. I never thought of that. That makes sense. So they develop the patience as they listen to you for an hour. Yeah, well, they, they realize that they have to develop patience, that networking is not a get-rich-quick scheme, but man, it's a fantastic way to build your business. Beats the heck out of cold calling. In one of my books, World's Best Known Marketing Secret, I say, look, how are you getting your business now? Tell me every way you're getting your business. Well, there's only four or five ways to get business. You can go out and cold call, you know, knock on doors, or make phone calls and cold call. You can advertise, and there's so many different ways to advertise. You can advertise on the radio, on television, print media. You can advertise through social media. You can have a publicist do PR. That's it. And this is where I'll, I'll say to the audience, you know, are you guys all happy with that? You getting all the business you need from those three? No? Well, maybe you might want to think about a fourth one, and you plan and structure your word of mouth the same way you plan and structure your other mediums of marketing and build your business through referrals, which takes time, and it's you know, it's not overnight, but man, it's great. It beats the heck out of cold calling. People, then people say, I don't have time. Okay, you don't have time. I get it. So you better have a big budget because everything else costs money. Advertising costs money. PR costs money. Cold calling doesn't. So good luck. Enjoy that cold calling, buddy. No, that's a good point. You know, what you have to, you know, referrals don't cost money, but they cost time and require patience. Yeah, they do. But advertising and PR, that costs money. And how do you make the money? Through the time of selling. Yeah. And so it's a vicious circle unless you break out of that circle with another strategy. It begins by supplementing your existing strategy for building your business. But it can eventually become your primary strategy for building your business. I see hundreds of thousands of people in BNI and elsewhere that have built their business over time to be predominantly referral-based. You know, a few months ago, I had a guest called Jay Allen, 
he was named the most networked guy in the state of Colorado. And he yeah. figured out something very simple. And I see a, a mesh between what he does and what you're doing with BNI. He said, don't go to other people's networking events blindly. Organize your own. For one very simple reason. When you go to other people's events, you don't know who's going to be there. And, you know, you have to potentially read their badges and introduce yourself to umpteen people. It may go somewhere. It may not go somewhere. Whereas if you invite people, you know the kind of people you're inviting are the kind of people you want to get to know to build a relationship and who would potentially buy from you. In your BNI model, it appears that somebody else is sales-oriented and in a different field and not competing with you. Each one of them could be a source of referral. In other words, they would be of potential benefit to you. That's exactly right. right? That's a good way of doing it. I'm not sure I agree with him that, you know, set up your own, um, really, setting up a network is a lot of work. It is way more work than people expect. Now, he's a, you know, networking expert, so he's got one, of course. But I would tell people, take a good look at the different kinds of networks that are out there, like chambers and service clubs and groups like BNI. Diversify your networks. But why reinvent the wheel? There's a lot out there already. You're not in the networking business. You're in the sales of whatever business. I have to respectfully disagree. Having said that, having doing a networking event at your location from time to time is a great idea. I recommend that. But it should be, you know, about as often as a solar eclipse. Let's say that I'm not good at networking. So one of the guests I had recently was Dr. Anders Ericsson, you know, who wrote the book Peak. His research was the one that said, you know, you need to practice something 10,000 hours to become an expert at it. One of the key things that he pointed out is he's got a methodology, okay? Be very clear about what it is, you know, and be highly motivated about what it is you want to develop a competency in or expertise in, say, networking. Focus on it. Practice mm -hmm. and get feedback from a skilled networker somebody who's much better than you at it, and then repeatedly perform the task to become really good at it over a period of time, perhaps over 10,000 hours. He calls yes. that deliberate practice. But I'm not really good at networking. I'm not good at this. Well, you don't have to be an expert. To hit that 10,000-hour number, you're talking about being an expert, a, a real, true expert. So I don't think anybody, no one needs, unless you're in a position like I am where I'm running a networking organization, no one needs 10,000 hours to be good at it. I don't want to intimidate people with that number. It, it could be a lot less. But other than that, I agree completely that you got to practice it and you got to learn how to do it. So how do I practice it? I'm not very good at this. How do I practice this? You either have a mentor or you have a virtual mentor. There are so many great books out there on networking. My latest book on networking is uh, Networking Like a Pro, the second edition. And uh, that's a really, really solid book on teaching people how to, and it starts with the mindset and skill set. But there are other people. Bob Berg has a great book called Endless Referrals and Susan Rowan, How to Work a Room. These are all really good books to help teach people how to network. But here's the thing. Introverts tend to think they're not good at networking and extroverts tend to think they are really good at networking. In my opinion, both tend to be wrong. So here's why. A good networker has two ears and one mouth and uses them both proportionately. It's like you. You're, the, you're an interviewer. You're interviewing me. And you're giving me an opportunity to elaborate, to talk. That's what a good networker does. A good networker is, in my opinion, a good interviewer. They have to act more interested than interesting. Hmm. And so you're giving me a chance to talk. That's what a good networker does. And lo and behold, introverts are better at that. They have a hard time meeting that first person. 
But once they've met with them, they're very good at listening. Now, extroverts, let's talk about them for a moment. Extroverts have no problem meeting people. And they have no problem talking and talking and talking. And, Ron, what's their favorite subject? Themselves. <laughs> yes. It's everything oppositional mm-hmm. to what I teach. You, you, you got to be more interested than interesting. You have to have two ears and one mouth. Use them proportionately. So extroverts tend to think they're great at networking, which is really interesting because even introverts think, well, that guy's really good at networking because he can just come on up and talk to people. But the problem is he's talking about himself. He's not listening. He's not even trying to build a relationship. And so extroverts have to learn how to shut up and ask questions. So I guess a good rule that we could add then, Ivan, is in order to be a good networker, you should not be a narcissist. Well, even narcissists mostly don't think they're narcissists. So <laughs> I would probably uh, spin it in a more positive way and say good networker is like a great interviewer. You know, you're, you're asking questions more than you're trying to steal airtime. But just to flip that, the introverts, their, their struggle is to learn how to meet people. So if they can learn how to meet people more effectively and to open up the conversation, then they can be a great networker. And if the extrovert learns how to ask questions and listen, they can be either an introvert or extrovert can be great, but they have different problems to deal with. Let me connect two other things that I heard. We had Alan Langer, you know, the famous mindset expert from Harvard, who talked about how you can observe the nuances of experts in a particular field. And then you combine it with what uh, Anders Ericsson Uh, the author of Peak said about how you can get uh, deliberate and meaningful feedback from an expert, one-on-one coaching, and you can become really good at something. And then I stopped and said, wait a minute, I don't know any networking coaches out there. Are there? Oh, yeah. They're there. Oh, Oh, yeah, a lot. Where are they? How do I find them? Uh, Go to ascentive.com, A-S-E-N-T-I-V.com. Ascentive does a lot of coaching with people on how to build a, a powerful referral-based business. And of course, in BNI, we do a lot of teaching within the context of BNI. Um, we have an education coordinator. We have BNI mentor coaches. But it's not, coaching is not what BNI does professionally. But there's a lot of education. But Ascentive is a, a coaching and consulting business, and they do that. I know you wrote a book called The Best Known Marketing Secret about word-of-mouth marketing. Today, it's about, oh, how many Twitter followers do you have? How many connections do you have on LinkedIn? How many followers do you have on Facebook? How does word-of-mouth marketing work in here? Because so I have 10,000 Twitter followers. Like, wow, that's impressive. But probably nobody's reading anything I'm writing. How do you engage people in the uh, new age of social media? where everybody is blasting everybody else. Social media to me is a lot like monologues. I'm going to write and write and write and write. Ivan, you better read it. And somebody else is saying, I'm writing and writing. Ivan, you better read it. And Ivan's saying, I have no interest in reading any of this. How do you get people's attention? Well, listen, you need to write things that are meaningful, and you also need to write things that I, I believe are informational or educational. So I'm a believer in social media. I, I, for me, it's not a matter of either face-to-face or social media. It's a matter of both and. It's another tool in the tool belt. And I think what happens is that people tend to use social media as a selling tool where they're just you know, selling to people or they use it so much as a social tool that neither of those work. You need to have a, a combination. So I find social media works if I really provide good educational content uh, up on my page. So I would say three-fourths or more of my posts are 
Here's a topic I talked about in a video. You might find it interesting. Here's a, here's a blog I just wrote on this topic. Or have you, do you have this challenge? You know, are you an extrovert? Are you an introvert? You know, and, and I put, post that kind of stuff up there to draw people in to take a look at either a quick video or a blog on a topic that might be of interest to them. So I've been able to gather a lot of followers and by educating them and providing informational stuff, not constantly selling to them. I rarely, if ever, sell to people who follow me. But I do put, you know, like when I have a new book, I'm out, I promote it. But mostly it's informational and educational and occasionally something personal. People love to know at least some little bit about you personally. saying it needs to be informational and educational yeah. and you also be social by being on these media and engaging people. I think that's all very important. If you look at my page, my Facebook page is facebook.com slash founder. And if you go there, you'll, you'll see, oh, here's another thing. Um, I do regular Ask Ivan's live. Hmm. So about once every six weeks, I just put it out to my organization and, and to the public. Hey, do you have any question for me on networking, on scaling a business, on whatever? Show up live at this time and, you know, ask me anything you want to ask. You got a personal question? You know, not too personal, but you got a personal question? I'll answer yeah. a personal question. And it's a great way to then talk to people directly. So I'm looking at my posts right now. The last seven posts were uh, all about core values and, you know, explaining how core values work with certainly within BNI. But prior to that, I did post on various aspects of networking and the BNI Foundation, giving back to communities. So it's the last 15 posts, there's nothing to sell anybody. You know, we are all limited by how many people we can actively network with. There is that, what is it called, the Dunbar number? I the Dunbar it, number, yeah. Yeah, the Dunbar. I think that if I'm not mistaken, the number is about 160. 150. So yeah. 50? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So so how can I get people in my network to refer prospects to me? Because I can only handle so many of these and I, I need to figure out how to network in a smart way that is actually meaningful and helpful to me. That's a multifaceted question with a multifaceted answer, but let me see if I can break it up a little bit. The Dunbar number is based on a social scientist study done a number of years ago on, on the number of friends that someone can have legitimate, actual, true friends. Facebook has kind of redefined what a friend is. You know, on Facebook, I've got 5,000 friends on my personal page and 60,000 on my public page. These aren't people I know, most of them. They're not really, really friends. So we're talking about people who not only know you, they would see you on the street and say hi to you and have a quick conversation. These are true friends. Mm -hmm. So you may know thousands of people, but you have a relationship with maybe 150. So if your network is a mile wide and only an inch deep, it'll never be very powerful. You need a network that is both wide and deep. So you may be at visibility with a thousand people, but mm -hmm. you're really at credibility and profitability with 150. So you constantly work relationships in terms of, of building a relationship, building social capital with somebody to shift them into that 150. And people leave your life. I mean, people move, people have health issues, people change careers. So that 150 is not a steady, I mean, mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's not a steady number. People come and go. And by the way, 150 is the average. So, you know, some people might have 50, some people might have 500. 150 is the average. Average is an interesting concept statistically. I mean, if your head is in the freezer and your, your feet are in the oven, on average, you're okay. You know, there is a guy called Perry Marshall. He went and looked at the Pareto rule, you know, the good old 80-20 rule. Yeah, the economist uh, Pareto, yeah. So it's basically saying that much of your benefit or much of your business in our business context comes from a small group of people, you know, whether the number is 80-20 or 90-10 or 70-30. And that's kind of a debatable thing. It depends upon you. Let's say 80-20 for now. What he said was, let me take 80% of 80%, which is 64%. And then 20% of 20%, which is 4%. And then go down one more level, 80% of 64% is 49%. And then 20% of 4% is 0.08. So approximate it and say 50% on one side and 1% on the other side. So his argument is 50% of your business comes from about 1% of the people that you know. And as I look at your BNI referral model, it's a way that you could get referrals from this trusted group with whom you build a more and more and more trusted relationship over time. And a bulk of your business could come from this small group. Huh? I'm not sure I agree with all the math of what, what he was describing, but yeah, I would agree that a small small group of people can end up bringing you a ton of business because you have a really strong relationship with them. That, that I agree with. See, see, once again there, as I was saying earlier, I don't think whether it's 80, 20, 70, 30, whatever those, that's you know entirely up to you. But his simple point was, a bulk of or a majority of your business in our business example comes from an extremely small group of people. And if there is a way you can kind of filter and identify that super small group of people in a very concerted way, uh, you are likely to disproportionately benefit from doing that. In a good networking group, the sum of the whole becomes greater than the individual parts by people working together in a team kind of playing off the same playbook you end up having a small group of people generate a much larger percentage of your business than one might expect. We see that all the time with our members generating billions of dollars worth of business for each other. You know, as I reflect on all the insights that I've seen come from you, from from our conversations and also from your book, what I find is, when you really think about it, much of it is common sense. But <laughs> then I find, why is common sense so uncommon? Why don't people yeah. do what's common sense? Well, you know, it's common sense. It is a couple of things. You're right. Common sense is not commonly applied. Um, but also, some of it is actually counterintuitive. Because when, when we say to people, don't sell, when you go to a networking event, that's completely counterintuitive. Mm-hmm. People are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, you, you, you even pushed back on that. You wanted me to elaborate on, really, you don't sell. You're a salesperson. What's a salesperson going to say? So it feels like common sense once something's been shown to you. It's, it's like a magic trick in a way. I was a member of the Magic Castle in LA for many years and I do magic for my kids. And once you show the trick, they're like, really? That's like, that's so easy. Well, yeah, once you know it, it's easy. But so once you know they it, show you that it's possible, then people become believers. Yeah. Yeah. Ivan, you know, looking back, you've traveled to a gazillion countries. You probably have that American Airlines, what is that called, the millionaire card or whatever it's called? Oh, I'm uh, two million miles on American. What is something that you've learned or heard 
from your youth, from your family, from your travels, that has become such a huge influence that you use it every day today? If you're going to want to go way back, it would be something my mother gave me when I was about 13 years old. It's on my desk right now. Got it right here. It's a paperweight. And it says, diplomacy is the art of letting someone else have your way. And my mother gave that to me because she said, honey, I love you, but you're a bull in a china shop. And if you don't learn how to <laughs> collaborate with people, this isn't about manipulation, it's about collaboration. If you don't learn how to collaborate with people, you're never going to get anything done. And that was good advice that mom gave me. And something that I use or try to use on a daily basis is, you know, learn how to collaborate. I, you know, I found out the hard way that fascism is actually not a good leadership style. How so? Telling people, you know, do this is not, not a good way to lead. You've got to actually collaborate and work with people. And mm -hmm. so that's probably one of the things that I've learned. In terms of what I try to teach business people, one thing that I, I constantly teach people is that if you want to be successful in business, you've got to do six things a thousand times, not a thousand things six times. And I think a lot of business people are constantly chasing bright, shiny objects, mm -hmm. and they end up doing a thousand things six times. And that's never a way to scale your company. Uh, I think I scaled BNI into being a multinational company by doing six things a thousand times. What do you want to be known for, Ivan? Well, I think it's, I, you know, I certainly am known pretty well for building the networking industry. Honestly, I think, you know, I've, I've noticed that as my hair gets grayer, more and more people are asking me, what's your legacy? What, what do you hope your legacy is? And I th honestly, I think one's life is one's legacy. How they live their life, what they did in their life is their legacy. And so hopefully there's a lot of people out there that felt that uh, what I've done is helped them become successful in life. See, one of the things that I found, I almost tripped into it, wasn't something I was looking for. We did a survey of people who are successful in business and people who are not. This is a survey of about 400 people, including 75 multimillionaires. And we found a very strong correlation in one of the questions between people who thought about a goal much larger than simply making money. So in other words, they've thought about their legacy, something that has a broader impact on society. Those kind of people were more successful than people who didn't think about that at all. I don't doubt that. Having the big vision for what you want to do in life or in business is important. Uh, for BNI, our vision statement is uh, changing the way the world does business. And we're trying to do that through the philosophy of Gibbers Gain, that by, by helping other people, they'll help you. I've been many, many thanks for uh, taking time to come on Business Thinking Radio. I uh, thoroughly enjoyed uh, our conversation and I look forward to having you back as uh, you know you travel to more places and rack up another million miles <laughs> <laughs> and figure out how people can uh, network uh, even better. Many thanks. Hey, listen, my pleasure. Let me let me leave your audience with one last thought. Um, you know, you know, you know the expression: uh, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Correct. I don't think it's either. I don't think it's what you know or who you know. It's how well you know each other that really counts. It's all about building those relationships with people. And I think that's probably one of the most important lessons I've learned during my career. Thanks, Ram. I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Many thanks, Ivan. Thanks for listening to Business Thinking Radio. If you'd like to comment on this episode, please send an email to podcast at businessthinking.com. This is Ram Ayer signing off. Thank you for listening to the Ram Ayer Podcast. Every week, we bring you the thought-provoking and practical conversations to help you become better, smarter, and more successful, helping you achieve your personal greatness. 
all from the perch of Ram Iyer, the thought leader, author, keynote speaker, workshop leader, and mentor. If you want to comment on this episode, please email us at podcasts at mitramaya.com. If you want to listen to previous episodes, please visit www.mitramaya.com forward slash podcasts or find the Ram Aya podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and wherever fine podcasts are uploaded.